Leaders in tech are burning out at an absurd rate. Control-Alt-Delete with Lisa Jury is a no-BS conversation with one of the top female executives who spent over 25 years in Silicon Valley. If you're suffering from the always-on, never-good-enough-will-replace-you-today machine called the tech space, this show's for you. Here's Lisa. Hello there. I would like to say a phrase, and I want you to think about what it means to you. I want you to think about the neglected middle. And I'm not talking about your gut health. (laughs) I'm talking about middle management, leaders in the middle. They are neglected. And whether or not you talk about it doesn't make it not real. And we know, especially in tech, people are rewarded and recognized for their brilliant technical skills, and they get accelerated into leadership positions, make their way to the middle, and all of a sudden, so many of them are so well-intended, but they aren't given the opportunity to develop their people and sometimes their business skills. So I am... I always try and think of the right word to use when I want to tell you how I feel about my guests, right? But I'm, I'm honestly honored. I'm going to say honored. I'm honored that Karen Matsueda is here today. Matsueda. This is what I do. This is, she's going to help me with this. Um, coming from Dury, we all know I get botched all the time. But Karen is here by invitation. And she's not only here as a podcast guest, but she actually helps RLD group help our customers. And I'm honored that she is willing to come forth and tell her story and share her insights and let me continue to get her last name right, to give me the opportunity to be human um, and to talk about the middle because the middle matters. And the, well, you'll hear in her, in her intro, but it's so important. And Karen, I am honored that you're here. Thank you for sharing the space with me today on control Alt delete. Lisa, I am actually honored to be here. Thank you so much. I'm excited to have this conversation with you. Ah, you are so welcome. I, 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 you listen, I'm just, yeah. So when you when you spell your name out, it says it exactly as I'm supposed to say it. And yet I still don't do this right. So I'm going to try again. Karen Matsueda. Try and help me. Matsueda. Yeah. Matsueda is closer. Um, okay. I've been told by Japanese people, I don't say it right. And they say it. <laughs> They say, no, it's Matsueda. And I say, Matsueda. That's what I said. No, it's Matsueda. So I, answer, I love this. I answered in Matsueda, Matsueda. I've been called mozzarella. So, you know, it's okay. You've been mozzarella. I've been derriere. This is why we get along, <laughs> right? And, and the thing about being human at work, I think what really matters is what we're modeling right now, which is we continue to try, right? I'm not Japanese. I don't have the accent, right? But I can say Matsueda. And I can try, right? And then you can say dairy, and I go, oh nope, try it again, you know. So for all of you that live in a very culturally diverse and work in a culturally diverse space, the, the best thing you can do is just own it and try again. Like I just thank you for letting me model that up front because I think, you know, when you think of diversity, inclusion, and belonging, that means that people try and get your name right. Yeah, and that's the point is to try to get it right. People. Generally, they can tell if you care, you want to do it right, and you mess up, and you're open to being corrected. It isn't about being right. It's about wanting to do right. Oh, amen to that. And you know, I, I have to let the perfectionist in me go when it comes to names, because boy, doesn't it feel great to land it the first time, right? So thank you for modeling that. And let me, I'm going to tell everybody how awesome you are right now, why they want to listen today. So I'm going to say this. Even if you're not a middle manager, you might be reporting to one. You might be married to one. You might be the parent of one. I want you to to really um, allow yourself to get curious about this conversation because what we're going to talk about isn't only applicable there. It's it's an important call out. But what Karen's going to share with you today, it's relevant whether you're a board member, if you're retired, or you're a brand new college grad. Heck, you could still be in school because what we're going to talk about today is about leadership and what it means to be authentic at work, right? Like we just did that with names. And so let me tell you why Karen's here. So I'm gonna be official right now, Karen. So Karen's a leadership and professional development coach who gets a charge out of serving the neglected middle, people who form the backbone and the future of an organization, but are neglected when it comes to formal development. Drawing on her 30 years experience in various HR roles in Silicon Valley tech firms, and her training in coaching and adult learning, Karen works with her clients to tap into their motivation, 
and stretch toward their potential to generate insights, momentum, and an outsized impact that matters to them and to others. I mean, I, I just don't even know what to say after that, except to say, we need this conversation today and there's nobody better to have it than with you, Karen. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so glad. Yeah. Okay. So let's get into it, right? Let's just go there for the people listening. So why does this happen? What is your experience in seeing the lack of formal development for the neglected middle? I kind of gave my own take on it in the beginning, but you know, I would love with your 30 years experience, you've seen some trends and you know what's going on. So how does this happen and why is it not being addressed more? In my experience, uh, money and time for training and development is always finite. And so the assumption has generally been, well, let's go to the people with the largest, broadest impact in the organization and let's develop them. And then it'll trickle down and they can develop their people. And so the money, the time, the resources, the really cool development opportunities, the coaching tends to go to very senior people who do need it. Mm -hmm. uh, but it tends to end there. And honestly, in my experience as an HR person, I've done both organization development, learning and development, HR business partner. What I found is there's a real hunger at, for middle managers to get better. They got promoted because they had great technical skills. They may not even known what it May, meant to be a manager and suddenly they're dealing with human beings with feelings and they're inconsistent and they're not only that but they're stuck in the middle so it's they're the middle of the sandwich so, that, so they have the pressure coming from above here's the strategies here's the goals here's the directives you need to do this we're pulling in the timeline you need to get results and by the way now it's focal time it's time for you to rate and rank your people and to pay them appropriately and do it right and they're also getting pressure from below, people that are saying, I wanna grow my career, I don't know how, can you help me come up with a career path? And I don't have enough resources to meet the timelines that you're telling me to do. And often the people in the middle don't have the, um, don't have the resources and don't really have the empowerment to make decisions that could help them and their people be successful. So, they're not really set up for success. It's not intentional, but if you put a good person against a bad system, as Denning said, the system will win. So uh -huh. I've dealt enough with people like this that are so hungry to learn. And I've been explicitly told as an internal person, you cannot spend your time and energy with middle managers because there's not enough of you to go around, which was actually true. And so there is a need, there is a desire and the resources weren't there. And yet that is where the work gets done. You know, one thing I was reading as we, I was thinking about this podcast, Lisa, is um, an article about how Google several years ago decided to just get rid of their managers. They thought managers just get in the way of productivity and creativity of their engineers. And, you know, we have leaders and then we have workers. So let's just go with that. And it was a disaster. Mm -hmm because the engineers, the employees needed some level of guidance and development. And it's really not a good use of anyone's time or skills for an EVP to be coaching a, an intern or a, a, even a second level person that needs help figuring out how to do something relatively basic. So they brought their managers back in and they and many other companies are realizing that we are behind. We are missing the mark in developing our middle managers. And I think some firms are correcting that, but the financial reality is still there in terms of how many people can you actually. Yeah. Yeah. Say. I, uh, I have so much to say, and I'm, I really want to just be very intentional with my words because one thing you said that I don't think people realize, at least in my own experience, is that not only is it unreasonable, but it's unfair to be coaching an executive and expecting them to then turn around and be a great coach. Like coaching is an art and a science. Yes. And those executives are getting coached on things at their level to be able to move the business, not the level of the middle, right? And so there's this like assumption or expectation that doesn't even belong there. I, I just want to highlight that you put words to that because what I'm seeing and what I'm saying is that, you know, you're creating liabilities by not developing your middle. Like I'm talking, you can go onto your um, profit and loss statement, you know, your balance sheet, you want to get accounting, fine. 
liability, you know, to the mental health, also liability financially, because the lost productivity from burnout is a $1 trillion problem. And I believe that a large majority of that comes from exactly what you're passionate about, which is developing those leaders to be able to lead humans. They know how to write code, but now we're talking about humans. Yeah. Yeah. It's a completely different blogging. Yeah. I, you know, another thing that I was reading is just the, how the leadership pipeline is hollowed out because there's a, there's a pretty high degree of burnout in general in tech, but in the middle manager space. And so these people are leaving, which is in Silicon Valley, that's what we do, right? When we're unhappy, we, we hop to another company so that we can start fresh. We need to fix that. Yep. Um, and so we have this hollowed out leadership pipeline, which perpetuates the problem because we're still promoting people into a role they're not ready for. And then they, they flounder and some succeed and some fail. And there's a huge, there's an impact on your soul when you, when you fail, it can end up being a gift, but not always. And I think we have a responsibility to be more thoughtful and intentional about that. Oh, it has an impact on your soul. Can I just say yes, indeed, because when you look in this, is, I'm not trying to get dark, but I'm trying to be real. When you look at like the suicide rates of middle managers, right? It's real. When you look at the burnout rate and the, the physical impacts of burnout, they can sometimes be lifelong impacts. I mean, people lose the use of parts of their bodies from burnout. Like this is no joke. And I think um, now, now that we've kind of got people's attention, right? And we know that you and I have personal experience with this. Um, helping leaders as well as our own journeys. Um, I would love to know how you figured this out. Like what clicked for you or what, what was there a story, an event, um, an experience to when you went, oh, that's it. Because this is very profound, right? And I would love to see if we can help people look for their own stories in it. Yeah, probably a few things. Um, one again is just as an HR person seeing the need and trying to work with managers on what we consider to be the bread and butter of management, performance management and, and helping people coach and have one-on-ones with their employees and just trying to figure out how to equip them to do that without the, the proper resources for development. Another is uh, my own, I mean, I, maybe we all have a burnout story, but I do. Mm. My burnout story uh, is I was at uh, the same company for 21 years, which in Silicon Valley is not necessarily a badge of honor, but I was there. And for most of the time, I loved my job. I was good at what I did. I was highly thought of. I moved around. I moved up. And then uh, things changed and we got new executive leadership. I ended up getting a new leader. And the new leader was looking for different kinds of approaches and skills than what I had. And in parallel, after these 21 years, I had gotten to a point where I had taken on a role uh, with a safety net because I worked for a supportive manager that was, my predecessors had all failed in or burned out, but I figured I can make anything work. I always have. And so I, uh, yeah. I'm not laughing at you. Yeah, there's, yeah, a lesson, yeah, there's a lesson right there, right? I oh, yeah. Anything or <laughs> I can adapt. And so, um, but I was wrong and I was miserable and I was not effective. And so I was slowly burning out. You've probably heard of the legend of the, the boiled frog or the, the, yes, med- right? the boiled frog where, where supposedly if you put a frog into a pot of boiling water, it'll jump out right away because it's not stupid. If you put a frog into a, a pot of water and slowly heat it up, it will slowly adjust its, its internal temperature to match the water to the point that it's burned up all its energy adapting so that when the water is really too hot to survive, it doesn't jump out. Mm-hmm. Now the internet is unclear about whether that's actually factual or not, but <laughs> as a metaphor, it still works. It's a great metaphor. Yeah. That, that's what I had done. I had adapted, 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 and moved away from who I really was and my core skills because I had this stubborn egotistical approach that I can make anything work. Gosh, darn it. I always have, and I always will. Mm. And it got to the point 
where one day I finally, I had had it and I'm like, okay, that's it. I'm ready to have the conversation with my manager. I'd worked for this new person for six months and I'm just say, you know, this is not working out. So I walked into our one-on-one, sat down and he said, Karen, this is probably not the conversation that you were expecting us to have, but this is not working out. So we both knew it. He mm-hmm. said it first and we worked out an exit plan. Um, and once I knew I was leaving Lisa, that's when it finally dawned on me how miserable I was. Uh-huh. And I went home one day during my, yeah, I had you know a few weeks that I still worked there for a while. And I said to my husband, I had no idea how burned out I was. Mm-hmm. And he said, really, you didn't know? <laughs> it was so obvious. Every day you would come home, I hate my job. I hate my job. You're working crazy hours and you were miserable. So this goes back to one of my big lessons um, as a middle manager myself is I wasn't paying attention. I wasn't noticing. And the whole boiled frog analogy is about adapting, 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 but mindlessly. And that's what I had done until I was, I was fried. I, um, after I left the company, I was, I was embarrassed. I was angry. I was relieved. I was exhausted. Uh, it took me several months just to get the toxins out and to readjust to like, who am I again? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, ultimately it ended up, you know, like people always say, ultimately it ended up being actually a gift. And I just wouldn't like in the future to, and the present to be the person that proactively notices and makes a decision before I'm fried rather than getting to the end of my rope and just kind of getting creamed like that. So that's my burnout story. And I know it's not just me. And if I can work with people to bring their best selves to not only work, but to life Mm -hmm. and to remember that work is a part of life, work isn't life, Mm -hmm. uh, and to help them really thrive as a middle manager. And if they don't want to be a manager to help them find a role where they can thrive, that is just super satisfying. I so appreciate you sharing that. For so many people listening, you know, going, 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 I can get it all done. You know, I have, I used my stories to be, I have capacity. I can get anything done. You know, I have more capacity than anyone else. And that doesn't mean I should be spending all my capacity at work, but I just kept giving it to work, giving it to work. Right. And I too had, um, I know so many people that could relate to what you're saying. I have my own story, which is very similar in the whole, you know, movement and growth. And all of a sudden everyone else is failing, but I can do it. And you're like, Perhaps, you know, if you look at the runway of medical leaves and, you know, turnover, one might think, hmm, right, but no, we could figure it out. Um, And how many people can see that and still say yes, because they think they can do it. And it doesn't mean you're not capable. It just means that there's something in that system, right? It's not even about the individual, but we tend to think, well, we can do it. Of course, Mm -hmm. you know, yeah, there's so much to your story. And the thing that I think is beautiful and super hard. I don't want to gloss over the hard to go in ready to have the conversation and to have your boss say it first. There are so many bosses that won't have the conversation and they'll let you keep floundering and keep floundering and avoid it and walk around it. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. for whatever reason, at that moment in time that you guys aligned and of course, embarrassment and shock. And I mean, it's a grief. It's a grief process. Um, but I, I'm interested in how you navigated from then to the exit to keep your, your soul intact. And then also, cause I too, when I burnt out, I told people and they're like, you didn't know it. I wanted to slap them. Like, why didn't you say something? Hello? You know, well, you're not open, Lisa. You're busy doing right. And I'm thinking, I wanted to blame other people. Like for me, I just wanted it to be like, that sucks and they suck and this and that. And I wouldn't burn out if they would get there, figure it out. And I was like, I totally have a part in this. My boundaries were blurred. I didn't ask for help. I had unrealistic expectations, all that. So can you just walk us through what it was like from the time when you sat in that meeting? And then when when you transitioned out, like to let people know the roller coaster, because I think 
once you feel burnt out and you then you own it you feel broken and like you think it's your fault like it's a system it's it's so much more than you yeah, yeah. i love your perspective we take it personally and we think yeah. it's a personal individual failure and i don't know how much of that is just an artifact of american culture and how much is humanness yeah. um and uh, you know even before my manager and i had that conversation there was a part of me, obviously, that knew things weren't working, but I was afraid. I had been in the company for so long, the idea of going out and finding something different was more scary than the idea of continuing to just adapt, adapt, adapt. Mm -hmm. But once that was no longer an option, weirdly, it was actually very liberating. And again, don't get me wrong. I was embarrassed. I was angry. Mm -hmm. But... Um, I was open with people too. The way I talked about it, because this is really what I thought and still do think, uh, was that, that it's kind of like it's become I'm a round peg and it's a square hole. Mm -hmm. I just don't fit anymore. And I mean, obviously that's kind of superficial, but it's also kind of the truth. And I, I was really intentional not to cast blame, um, although externally internally of course you know if only this person were different or that or whatever oh yeah yeah life but, yeah but um yeah it was that it was simple it was just that and I had a two weeks was just just the right amount of time my boss said no you can stay longer if you want I'm like no I'm good I looked at my stock option vesting and two weeks is good <laughs> out of here but yeah. it was time to say goodbye they, they gave me a goodbye party and so I actually had some lovely closure. People mm -hmm. be pretty amazing. And I think when, and people remember how people leave. So this is another. Absolutely. Yes. People, you know, you could have like the best X number of years in a company. And if you leave in an ugly way, or if you leave in a classy way, people will remember that. Cause it really, when you have less to lose, how you show up, mm -hmm. people notice. Yeah. Yeah. What did, what advice would you have for somebody now? When I think about that two weeks and being able to, you know, manage your message, manage your transition um, with COVID, whatever part you're listening to, there's going to be COVID's conversation at some point. Right. Yeah. So this new, or maybe we're just remote and everything's great. I don't know what the future holds. Right. But if you can't have that goodbye party in person, or you can't look the person and go to lunch, like the old, the old schools, you go to lunch and you talk about the good times and you wish each other well, like, what do you think would help people as their um, leaders listening, if they're, you know, making these decisions and restructuring and, and exiting people? Um, what tips would you have for those leaders to be able to hold space and create that, we'll call the classy exit, to use your words? Yeah, yeah, that's so important. There's so many things that, that leaders can do, even remotely. Um, and it's all predicated on how do I treat this person with respect? How do I create an environment where they can hold their head high and with dignity? Mm -hmm. And even if they failed, that doesn't mean their failure is a human and they didn't fail at everything or they wouldn't have been here as long as they did. Mm -hmm. So holding that um, frame of mind and then talk directly with the person and say, how would you like to handle this? Um, how, and and I've, um, I've exited more than one company on a mutual agreement and um, it can be so empowering and healing for the person to be able to say, I would like to you, you know, make the announcement or I would like to send a goodbye note or something, or mm -hmm. I suppose that's my approach. Some people would probably say I'd rather just quietly go away into the night and to, <laughs> yeah. to respect that um, to the degree that it's possible. Yeah. And, and then I would say, sort of like when someone has an illness or a death, uh, people can get really weird and awkward and like, oh, should I reach out? I don't know if it's okay. So it could actually be helpful if the, the person exiting says, yeah, I would welcome this for the leader to say, so, you know, if you've had a, you know, a longstanding relationship with this person, please reach out and, you know, say bye and schedule a, schedule a Zoom call. I mean, we, you know, even when I left that first company way back then, we were remote. We had, you know, I had colleagues in India and yeah. the East Coast in Europe and you so you set up a call even if you can't meet in person mm -hmm. yeah so basically 
what I'm hearing you say two very important things. One is ask the person what they want, Mm -hmm. right? So meet them where they are. And then number two, be a steward of respect and integrity, you know, and value whatever that relationship is for whoever needs to have the conversation. Like that is, and I think that's true even for onboarding. I think that's true for promotions. I think that's true for like recognition. How many times do people recognize you the way they want to be recognized. You know, I think about the sales conference and working with engineers all the time. They don't want to be on stage in front of 3000 people. You know what they want? They want that chief scientist to take them to lunch, you know? Um, And so just really meeting people where they are and caring enough about them. So I guess that's a tip we can share, right? When you're thinking about the middle leaders who aren't getting formally developed, like you don't have to read every book on the planet, but the question you can ask yourself is what does this person need? For this situation, right? I mean, that's huge what you're saying. Yeah. 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 The other thing I would add is uh, this is very much about your leadership brand. So even if you're having really hard conversation with someone or exiting them, everyone else in the organization is going to continue on and they are noticing how you are treating the person mm-hmm. and they're noticing how you're talking about them while they're still there and they're noticing how you're talking about them after you've left. If you want to build a leadership brand of integrity and respect, be really intentional. And you may have all sorts of good reasons to be very frustrated with that person. Keep it to yourself. Mm -hmm. Not helpful. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. I read something. Kiss. Keep, I mean, there's keep it simple, stupid or kind. Is it? Yeah. There's like all these little memes running around. Right. But I fundamentally, when I think about it, when you think about trust, like everyone's watching that leader. Yeah. You want to establish trust, then, you know, figure out what you're saying and how you're saying it and be very intentional to your point, because yeah, that's how um, stories are made up about people. And that's how you build a brand really fast either way. Yeah. 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 I appreciate that so much, Karen. Um, What do you think is the one thing? So for any middle, you know, the neglected middle that's listening to us right now, if there's one book or one concept or one, amazing HBR article. I don't know, but if everybody were to do one thing today, like if we can make it actionable for them to develop themselves, what advice would you have for somebody who doesn't get the, the budget right now? Right. But knowing there's so much out there to, you know, tap into. Oh, there really is. And I, so much of it depends on where they want to focus. Mm -hmm. Um, That said, one of my favorite go-tos is a book by Marshall Goldsmith called What Got You Here Won't Get You There. Yes. I love that book. Have you read it? Oh yeah. Yeah. What yeah. is tell tell them more about this because I think everybody should really like have a conversation with themselves about, you know, what you're doing now isn't working. <laughs> it's not gonna yeah. get you there, right? Yeah. Yeah. And and it worked before. Mm-hmm. And so why is that? Well, it's because the requirements have changed. And so just like we promote someone because they are technically excellent, just because you're fantastic at, at um, developing a software product or coding or, or um, running spreadsheets or budgets or anything, doesn't mean that you're excellent at leading other people to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. And so it requires really stepping back and saying, what does this new level, this new role, what are the what does it mean to be successful now? What do I dial up? And it probably has more to do with the big picture and the people management and finding ways to manage through systems instead of a bunch of one-on-one and one-on-one-on-one. <laughs> yeah. And then what do I dial down? And that probably means the hands-on work. And, oh, you're having trouble with that, Lisa? Step aside. I can Let me do this for you. But mm-hmm. to find ways to be patient and coach the other person to be, you know, teach them how to fish instead of fishing for them. Um, another thing that I, I love about um, Goldsmith's, um, his, his tenets, I guess, is uh, stop adding so much value. And what he means by that <laughs> is we think as, as managers of any level, but especially probably some of us just become a manager I think I'm adding value if you come and you show me your work 
And you know, it's really good. It's like 80% there. If I had done it, I would have done it. You know, so let me sit, let me tell you this other 20% that would make it even better. Mm-hmm. And what he says is, is that really helpful? Or did yeah. you just deflate the person? Like, was it really, was it really good enough mm-hmm. that you could just say, here's what was really good about it? Here was really effective. And maybe you say, have you thought about this? But ultimately, if it's gonna work. Help yeah. them to play to their strengths and don't swoop in and add too much value by trying to make it be the way you did it, or you will keep them forever subordinate to you and unable to grow. Yeah. And it also is demoralizing as hell, right? That's like, totally. my, yeah. you know, my dad, I'll, I'll give a shout out to my dad because this is something he taught me. One time I remember introducing something to him about delegate. I was talking about delegating and he goes, don't ever do that again. And I'm like, what? Like, I thought I was like, so proud and young daughter, like, yeah. And he's like, you'd probably demoralize the hell out of that person. I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> right. I, I I was helping. He's like, that's not helping. That's basically saying, I know more than you. Right. And I'm like, and so he told me like, look for the fatal flaw. And if there isn't a fatal flaw, zip it. This is, oh, kid. So this is my dad, kid, look for that fatal flaw. And if it's not there, zip it. Let them figure it out, right? Let them let them struggle a little bit. Let them let them gain proud, be proud. That was one thing he said, which totally just made me think about what you were saying. Like, yeah, is it helpful? <laughs> I say that to my daughter sometimes. She'll tell me something like, I don't know, like, well, ha- this is probably too much information for most people. But one time I had garlic on a pizza, and I just thought it sounded good. Well, that has ramifications, right? So I'm sitting there tucking her into bed, and she's like, "Mom, you smell like garlic," and I'm like, "That's not helpful." <laughs> <laughs> right? She's like, you always say that, right? That's not helpful. And I'm like, I think it's drilled into me from the goldsmith days of like, yeah, like, let's be clear. Good night, mom. Maybe hold your breath while you're kissing me. I'll go brush my teeth. But how's that like creating connection even at bedtime, right? Oh my gosh. I think about this so much, Karen. Yeah. And really who's it for? Who are you doing this for? Yeah. Right. Like what's your driver? I met my mentor, Denise Briette, who I know you are, you would know as well. She used to just always say to me, what's your intended outcome? And I was like, oh, damn, that was to make me feel good. Yeah, no, that's not helpful. Right. So really pausing and asking that so good. So good. Yeah. And then, you know, I think Lisa, if we all did that most of the time, it would transform everything. If we just stopped just running on that hamster wheel and reacting, 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 and really said, what am I trying to accomplish here? Mm -hmm. Uh, and yeah, give ourselves a moment to reflect mm-hmm. it would pay off. Yeah. You know, when you were talking earlier, something's standing out for me. I can feel a connection here. So I'm going to just go there for a second. So you were talking about your burnout story and adapt, adapt, adapt. And if they can't do it, but I can, right. Mm-hmm. And then you're saying mindless adapting, just like doing it. Mm-hmm. The other day I was working um, on an exercise with a client. We were talking about values and she was like, they keep telling me not to care they keep telling me not to care. And I'm like, in my head, you know, processing as a coach, like, okay, what's really underneath this, right? So we did a values exercise. And what became really clear was she values authenticity. She doesn't trust what's being said. So she's trying to call it, right? Butting her head up against the wall and just frustrated as hell and being like, I can't not care. Like, quit telling me not to care. And so I feel like some of that adapting um, is like almost like a value, you hold a dear value to being flexible and adaptable and capable, right? And I, I just wonder, do you have any insights for people with your own story and with the clients that you support, you know, for those that care? I was just super curious what you might say to that person about, you know, this situation that I'm talking about or any really, because it's about being mindful of your values. I, I, I believe that's where I'm going. Yeah, I, that's where I was going to go to. It's about one of my meg, like meta messages is it's about being clear on who you are, what you care about, who you want to be, and where your boundaries are. And that all sounds really simple, but it requires a lot of work and it requires going back to it over and over again. Because the more clear you are on that, then I'm not saying adapting is bad. I mean, goodness, yeah. you know, things change all the time. There's just such a big difference between intentional adaptation that I know is resonant with who I am, who I want to be, and the value I want to add, mm-hmm. and 
being able to notice if I'm starting to adapt in ways that are no, no longer ring true to who I am. Mm. And I think that as we give other people feedback, that could be instructive in how we give that feedback as well. Because saying things like, you care too much, or I've been given the feedback that um, you need to develop a thicker hide, um, <laughs> which, which in and of itself is not helpful because look, my hide is what it is. And um, yeah. I'm a very empathetic person and, and things matter to me. But if someone had approached it by saying, you know, what, what value or what that's important to you is this bumping up against mm -hmm. and how might you think about it differently? Then my answer would be different. I'm like, oh, so I'm taking things personally because ultimately it's all about me. Mm -hmm. And if someone says something that offends or hurts my feelings, it means there's something wrong with me and that's unacceptable. And when I can name it like that, then I can step back and say that what I just said about me violates who I really want to be. And it makes it wow. more doable to find another way to show up that's still authentic, but um, more, more healthy. So I, that's how I think I would Beautiful. work with this client as well. Yeah. Is this everyone, are you listening to this? Like, this is why Karen is amazing, right? For to be able to take a look at that and, and draw on that so quickly to help the person become clear on what really matters. I, it's just fab. I really appreciate you going there with me. Um, I really want to better understand, like the end of the day, you're looking back on your life and you, you have this legacy that you want to leave, right? And you've gone through a massive um, accomplishments in tech as a female, right? And, and HR, by the way, not necessarily, you know, the easy come bring your PhD along the road, you know, in electrical engineering, like you, you thrived in tech for many years. You know, what advice do you have for the next generation of female leaders in tech? Yeah. I, so I always go back to my go-to of get clear on who you are mm -hmm. and um, what's important to you. And then create networks of allies and accomplices within your firm and beyond your firm to support you and to hold you accountable. Mm -hmm. um, and Part of that too is getting clear on what your boundaries are. And so can we talk about boundaries for a minute? Yes, ma'am, let's go, boundaries. So boundaries are hard to do. You know, you know there's, and I work with people that struggle with this and, and I understand the struggle because even when people are really clear, I want more of this and less of that, and, but they spool out to what are the implications and maybe their management isn't, or they think their management is not gonna be supportive of it. If I'm saying I need boundaries and the boundaries mean I'm done with my, I'm done with meetings at 7 p.m. or you know, uh, on the weekends, unless there's some huge thing going on, I, I'm not gonna, whatever the boundaries are. And you and I both know that the sometimes those consequences are true. Like, well, we're gonna yeah. promote so-and-so because you know she works 24 hours a day seven days a week but then I would say go back to that future self and say really when I'm 84 years old am I going to look back and say I'm so glad that I spent every weekend and 12 hours a day on the weekdays working and rather than nurturing relationships or going hiking or traveling or developing some creative part of me? And the answer is probably no. Mm -hmm. um, and the hard thing is when I build boundaries to question my assumption about, is it helpful or hurtful? But the other thing is to say, to be informed and to say, you know what, maybe if I'm gonna be that person that says, I will be online between here and there, but unless there's some emergency going on, I'm, I, I choose to spend my time differently so I can come back to work replenished and really with my best self to be clear that that might have negative consequences and to somehow come to peace with that. And, and yeah. I kind of hate saying that, Lisa, because I would love for corporations and leaders to figure out how to recognize that balance is actually a superpower. Mm -hmm. But 
right now we're not there in general. So yeah. I'd, I'd love to know your thoughts because I'm sure that's controversial. Um, I, to me, that's the realistic way of looking at it and I could be wrong. I'm, I'm, I'm in alignment with you so much. And I always say balance is bullshit. I mean, I have a whole video on it, but I say BS. So it'll make it through the firewall of, you know, language, <laughs> but I'll just be me because it's our, it's my podcast. So I'm going to say bullshit. Um, I think the thing about that for me is that there's times when you're going to work extra hard. And then there's times when you're not like, I think about nature and the messages we get in nature. I've been really curious about this lately. Mm. You know, there's a time for harvest and a time for rest, right? There's hibernation and then there's gathering. And so I think that, um, yeah, if it's quarter end and you're in finance, you probably might have to work on the weekend, but not every weekend, like get really clear about when it's necessary and when you're just doing it because you think you have to. And I also um, was very inspired by somebody about a, a year ago. I think it's about a year. I sent an email to someone and the email came back and said, hey, so glad you emailed. Between one and three, I'm offline because my six month old is sick. And this is what I'm doing. And I'll be back on after that. It was something like that. I don't remember the exact words, but it was so out there that, mm-hmm. you know what? I will get to you. And I have a family dynamic playing out that I'm taking care of. And I was so inspired yeah that's really so inspired like in a tech company that there's a working uh a a leader i was gonna say working mom and i don't like that phrase there was a leader with a child care thing going on and they put it in their dang email and i thought that's the world i want to live in like that's the place i want to be those are the people that i want to um, bring forward because you understand that it's not just the job right and i anyone listening who is, you know, thinking of hiring us as consultants, right? We're not here to tell you, we're going to tell everybody to quit. Like That's not it. <laughs> we're here to tell you that we're going to work with anyone in your organization about clear balance, boundaries, values, judgments, and being sure that they're rested and rejuvenated to be there in those peak times, right? That's what we're really talking about. It's not always on. It's sometimes on. Yeah. Right. That's fundamentally, I think what you're saying, it's the sometimes it's not always on as a boiled frog and boiled frogs die. And do you really want dead frogs in your company? I don't think so. Right. I had a visual of like some, I had a whole little cartoon drawn up of what you just said. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So when the reason I asked you about the female leaders and you were talking about be true to yourself and know who you are, they're dropping out of tech in unprecedented rates right now because of the pressures of boundaries. Right. And the expectations of always on and they're basically citing uh yeah the world's imploding and i need to figure out how to you know make sure that my family is taken care of too and this is not sustainable Mm -hmm. and i think about the ramifications it actually makes my stomach hurt so i just had a physical experience as i'm saying this about the next generation and what it really means and how the, the impact of not having female leaders in the mix. And so if you could give advice to the shareholders or the board members um, or the CEOs, you know, in tech that are losing women leaders, what's your advice? Oh, I don't know if I have any special wisdom, but I, I think it would be around step back and remember that every person from your CEO to the most junior person in your company is a human. They're human first. Mm-hmm. and employees second or last or whatever and they have they have human needs and in order to thrive and to really bring their best self to work if you can help create an environment that system against the person or the system for the person that helps them live that as a full human you're going to get more out of them and you're going to get more creativity you're going to get certainly more loyalty and you're going to attract people that want to be more balanced. And I think of the term like the Renaissance person, right? The person that not only can paint, but that can also um, invent flying machines and that can also, um, you know, cook an amazing meal or, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Those people tend to make connections and to think more creatively and differently. And in our complex world, that's got to translate to the kinds of problem solving that you want. So if Deming was right, in my experience, he was, you put a good person in a bad system and the system wins. What if you put a good person in a good system? Imagine Mm -hmm. what you would unleash. 
Oh, imagine what you would have unleashed. Exactly. Yeah. I, uh, when I was thinking about this the other day, because this is no small thing, right? When you're managing by layoffs, when you're managing budget through layoffs, you're already in deep water because you don't have enough resources or even backup plans. And then you have women leaving at unprecedented rates. And I, I really think it's time to do it differently, right? To really evaluate what the values are and then really what you're instilling by the decisions that you're making. Mm -hmm. And I think what you're saying here is so important from a system standpoint, because it's not just a one person thing. I mean, your org is a system, right? Filled with humans who have needs and families and life. Yeah. Yeah. This is really grateful for this conversation because it's not an easy one to have and we're not placing blame. We're just raising awareness, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm thinking back to what can the individual do? Um, as we, we want to change the system, but you know, the lone, you know, the lowly individual contributor or middle manager, what can they do? I think it's important as they're getting clear on, we're getting clue on, clear on who we are, what's important to us, know that we have options mm -hmm. uh, and not be afraid to explore what those options are to create boundaries and to do it all in candid conversation with your manager or your stakeholders from a perspective of not, you know, I'm going to take care of myself, gosh, darn it. And you all can just, you know, right. But to say, I'm doing this. Yeah, I'm doing it for myself, but I also am doing this because I really think this is how I bring my best self to work. And let's talk about how I can make sure that I'm also meeting your needs as a stakeholder so that I'm prioritizing correctly. So I, yeah. I want to be heard as someone that's saying, just, you know, look out for number one and everyone else, let the chips fall where they may. I, totally. I, that's, I wouldn't want to hire somebody like that, but if yeah. someone's really clear and intentional and reaching out to say, how can I be of service to you, given my boundaries, what, that would just be, those would be amazing conversations. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know, it's funny because boundaries for me still is a word that I'm not comfortable using. Mm -hmm. Right. And I would like, how could I turn this into like a, like a slick marketing thing? Like, you know, I, I'm, I'm my best self between three and five but <laughs> to 10. It just, I'm not even, it's not even good for the business. So yeah. I'd like to move my schedule. Right. And you're mm -hmm. saying, well, I have a boundary and this is what it looks like. And how might we, and I'm like, that's honestly, um, I aspire to use that word in that way. Mm. Right. So I'm, I'm just, I'm noticing in my own self and my own journey, because heck, I teach a lot of influence training. Right. And it's always about helping um, understand what the decision maker cares about and then mm -hmm. framing your ethical proposal in that lens, even though it might benefit others too. And you're basically saying be even more transparent. I'm like, go Karen. Right. And so one of the things that just showed up for me when you're talking is getting really clear on what matters to the person that you need to set the boundaries with mm -hmm. and then deciding what language is going to work and then being very intentional for yourself too. So you can own your own power, which mm -hmm. is not here to be like, I ain't doing it. Right. But you think about people wanting, not wanting to go in the office right now because yeah. they're scared. Right. Yeah. So the boss is like, nope, all hands meeting on Tuesday. And they're like, what? I got a boundary. No, I can't say that. Oh, what maybe someone will be sick on Tuesday. Da, da, da. I don't want to, <sighs> like, it's, it's this like anxiety inducing. And instead, if, if you had had conversations early on about, you know, hey, I'm not comfortable until this, these three things are in place. I'm making it up. You know, mm -hmm. can I get your support that, that we can honor these boundaries? Like what a conversation that would be. Yeah, it would be great. And I, I want to be clear, this is aspirational for me. I, I yeah. would love to say that this is how I always show up and, and yeah. communicate. That would be a, a total lie. <laughs> Listen, it's, yeah, it's we are all human, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's different for me to say to my husband, I got a boundary. I'm not doing Easter for four days somewhere else, right? And yeah. you know, we can laugh about it, but I, I would say something differently to like someone, um, if I was inside an organization, someone, and even honestly with a client, I would find some words. So um, I'm taking my first two week vacation since I've owned this business Ooh, and I've been really okay. wondering how am I going to communicate that because yeah. I'm available to my clients and I'm like, Hmm, well, way to walk the talk there, Dury, go figure it out and like set the expectation and then have the backup plan and really model that. So yeah, I am by no means interpreting what you're saying as if it's always perfect and sunshiny, Do you know, like it's messy and that's okay. 
Yeah, yeah, it's messy. Human stuff is messy. And the more you do hard stuff like that, the less hard it becomes. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Okay. So tell me this, what inspires you? What is it about the work that you do? Let me be very clear with my question because that was too open. You could be like sunshine and rainbows, right? Um, <laughs> the work that you're doing now that you've chosen to do intentionally mm-hmm. as an um, executive coach and consultant, uh, what is it about that work that lights you up? I love working with just ordinary people like me that really want to grow and that are willing to put the work into it. Mm. And I always tell people coaching is more like going to the gym than going to the spa. You're the one doing the work. If I'm coaching you, if I'm doing it right, I'm here to support you, but you're the one doing the reps and I'm the one yeah. doing the weights and I'm the one that's spotting you. People that are willing to step in and really do that and to, to be real and struggle through it and they have ups and downs and then they have breakthroughs and insights and they're excited and they take ownership. Mm. Regular people like that, that's, that's what inspires me. Mm. Wow. What's a recent client success that, you know, you're not going to out them, right? But tell us a story or a situation where you were spotting them and this person did the work and like, how does that show up for them at work? And what's a good example that's you know, obviously with confidentiality in mind, is there one to celebrate? So I I recently closed out with a client that um, (laughs) was not super clear on, he kind of knew what he wanted to work on, but he wasn't really super clear. And I felt like, you know, some weeks it was like trying to nail jello to a wall of what is it that you even want to accomplish? And Mm -hmm. I wasn't, it was just really unclear, but it was something about... I don't think I'm pushing myself hard enough and I want to, um, I think I want to grow in my career, but eh, I'm not really sure. I'd like my work-life balance. And, and as a coach, sometimes I'd go away thinking, I just don't think I'm helping this guy at all. But we would talk about, so what are your motivations? What are your values? And, and why is that important to you? Mm-hmm. And um, why is that important to you? And why is that important to you? Mm-hmm. And towards the end, we stepped back and we, we reflected on the coaching journey, which is about more than just the thing you're working on with the person. Absolutely. Yes. About, what yeah. am I learning about myself? And all this stuff came out. I had no idea that he's like, oh yeah. So I've started, you know, I've started interacting differently with people and I've been reaching out and I've been also delegating, not doing all the work myself. And um, I, I think that I'm clear now that I want to move more into some kind of executive leadership. And, wow. and so um, I, I couldn't even tell you exactly concretely what all he's doing, but I was completely blown away because I, I wasn't sure anything was happening behind the scenes. And then I, I realized that he was processing it in his way, not my way, which is a thing I will always have to relearn is that people do things their way, not your way and for Mm -hmm. their reasons and not your reasons. And he was starting to really think about what was motivating him and to move in that direction and to get out of feeling stuck in a rut. Oh, you know, I want to say anyone listening, this is, I, we did not plan this, but I want to highlight this. Here's the thing about executive coaching. It's never what you think it's going to be. You just kind of have this feeling, right? They'll show up and be like, I need executive presence training or, you know, I want to, you know, scale my org or, you know, I got too high of turnover. Like there's some sort of like regular tangible business thing that they'll throw on the sheet and be like, here's what I want to work on. Then you have an hour with them and all of a sudden it opens it up and you might focus in the beginning on helping them get back to the gym. Yeah. And you're like, and they're, well, well, I didn't know you'd be my accountability for the gym. Well, you know what, when you're working out, you have that mental space to think, then you can get back mm-hmm. and then you can, da, 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 you know, like it's all connected. And I think that's one of the things um, that people don't see when they get into a coaching situation, because yeah, just like you said, and it's not always obvious that things are moving right away. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that's why the cadence of sessions and the follow-up is, is so important so that you can actually connect it for them too. And they'll go, wait a minute. Yeah. I went to the, you know, all hands uh, with the C-suite. I wasn't even nervous. Well, let's celebrate that. You know, yeah. there's, how did that happen? Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. 
-hmm. And so your story, your example is so good because especially when you think about the middle, when we started talking about them, they don't even know what coaching is. They just see it up there somewhere. And then Mm -hmm. if they're blessed enough to have an opportunity to work with a coach, to even set a goal, most of the time they, I I don't know. Oh yeah. And so how beautiful that your example is. I held space for it all question my value sometimes, you know, but we're closed out and look at what happened. Right. And because there's some, there's a recipe, but then there's also a pinch of this and a sprinkle of that, right? There, no two people are the same. Right. I just love your example. I just hit my microphone. I love your example so much. It's <laughs> awesome. I mean, are you, would you, am I um, on track with how you feel when I, with how I'm reacting to this? You are, you are, okay. because it just wasn't at all clear to me. And then it, there's something magical that happens and there is, there is an art and there's a, um, there's a science behind coaching. And yet a lot of it is about if as a coach and as a leader too, as you're coaching your people mm-hmm. be present and just what, what we call holding the space mm-hmm. sounds very woo woo, but all it really means is to be there with the person, let them talk, listen to them, ask a question here and there, expand their thinking, but they're doing the work because mm-hmm. they, they can, they're capable. Yeah, yeah. And that's when the magic really happens. And you're like, whoa, how did that happen? And I didn't have to orchestrate it or put together a complex project plan or anything. Mm-hmm. That person's own wisdom came through. Oh, yeah. And I feel so honored that we, together with you know the other folks in our organization, we get to unlock wisdom at speed and scale. You know, the collective wisdom of teams and groups and leaders is they have all the answers. They just need the space. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I really think about <laughs> is the one that'll show up and be like, I have no idea why I'm even here right now, you know, cause they're just so frazzled. Right. And I'm like, well, let's take a couple minutes. Why don't you go take a 10 minute walk and come back? You know, what's one thing today? And they'll come back. Oh, thank you for that 10 minutes. Here's the 17 things, right? It's like, <laughs> give that someone even honestly a bio break. And exactly. one of the, one of the tips I have for people all the time is stop having one hour meetings, mm-hmm. make them 45 minutes and watch your productivity go up, Do you yeah. know? And then yeah. to have someone like you have to hold space, which for me just means a non-judgmental container where they can be vulnerable, have self-doubt, express stress, get all messy, and then just, you know, pause for a second and after they hear themselves go, oh, and then you can insert, you know, some suggestions, some ideas, um, another thought, another question. Uh, what a gift. Like you are a gift to every client who ever has the honor, the, the, the blessing to spend time with you. Because Karen, that's how you show up always. It's so, it's just an honor to know you. It's really cool. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, let me ask you this. When you're down in the dumps, your energy is low, might be just for me, it's three o'clock in the afternoon. I'm like, oh, I got to wake up. Um, songs are magical to me. And I know that they raise energy. There's, you know, science behind it. And we have a playlist. So I would love to know, what's your go-to song to lift your energy or raise your vibe? Yeah, so it depends on how I want to raise it. Uh, if I, so of course I can't just come up with one song. That's great. So if love I'm it. looking for, so I, I have kind of a quiet, at my best, I have a quiet grounded energy. So if I'm trying to tap into that, there's a, I love the song Blue Sky by, uh, I think it's Joni Mitchell. Oh. Um, and it's, it's a relationship song. You're my blue sky, you're my sunny day. Um, oh. Lord, you know, it makes me high when you turn your love my way. I'm not sure it's Joni Mitchell, but- um, We'll have to but, look it up, oh. yeah. And then, and then the other one is called um, Song for Judith. Judith by Judy Collins. And it's uh, a song, open the doors and come on in. I'm so glad to see you, my friend. You're like a rainbow coming around the the bend. And for me, I am that kind of rainbow and and unicorns person. And so that lifts my spirit. So when I'm trying to go kind of grounded energy, that's where I go. If I just need to pump myself up, um, just like, or some if I need a good cry, then I love this song, Fight Like a Girl. Oh, I love that song. That makes yeah. me cry too. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So I have to say, this is what I need to say. 
the examples that you gave of blue sky and song for Judith, you know, my experience of you when you show up is grounded and calm and like receiving and giving, like there's an energy that emits from you. Um, very steady. You know, I'm much more, I'll call myself a spaz. I don't have a better word, but I'm high energy. So good to see you. Oh, ah, big smile. You know, this is me. And then whenever I meet you, there's just like this beautiful, genuine smile. And then you're just always like settled. And I always feel calmer when I'm around you. It's such a gift. So anyone who ever gets to work with you, like you're not going to get, hey, ah, Lisa, you're going to get like, how, how are you? You know, like, oh, like fully present. Like you model presence and listening in ways. Um, I, it's just, it's, I hope everyone watching gets to see how you show up even in this because it's amazing. It's amazing. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. It's, it's a lifelong journey, by the way, blue sky is Joan Baez. Joan Baez. Got it. Johnny Mitchell didn't sound quite right, but I appreciate that presence is something I think I'm always going to be working on. And I love your more extroverted energy. And, and that's the great thing is oh. there's different kinds of energy. And sometimes we need one and sometimes we need another. Or as a coach, sometimes you want someone that's got that really outward energy. And sometimes you want a grounded person. And uh, that goes back to it's just a slice of humanity. Yeah. Well, thank you. I, I really appreciate that. Because, I mean, full disclosure, Karen and I have run in similar circles for decades but have gotten to know each other, I'd say like much better the last six months. Yes. Um, and yeah, I, I just, I couldn't wait to have you on today to talk about this. Um, so when you think about, you know, next steps and people wanting to learn more, get in contact with you. I mean, obviously we have a relationship in RLD group and you have your own business too. So where can people find you? Like what, what's the best way for them to get some more Karen? Probably LinkedIn. Yeah. Okay. About having a name like Matsueta, there's not a lot of us. So Karen Matsueta on LinkedIn, or my email is Karen at KarenMatsuetaCoaching.com. Awesome. Which might be harder to type in than just going to LinkedIn. <laughs> yes, we make it we make it simple and com complex because no one can spell dury either. By the way, so yeah, for sure. <laughs> All right. And so if you could give yourself, so you, your last corporate role right? Not the one that at the very end, but like the very beginning where you gave, you know, 21 years of your life to, and you mm -hmm. look back and you had one piece of advice as you navigated choosing to stay inside one organization and grow with it. Um, what advice would you give? Because I think people want to stay and they want to settle and they want to feel a part of something. And it's not always easy. So you have that experience that's so unique. I'm curious what your advice would be. I think it goes back to Get really clear on who you are and how you want to add value, mm. how you want to serve, and what conditions make it the most natural for you to express that. And notice if the conditions shift to where it's more work to try to do that and, and decide is is this the signal that maybe it is time to look outside or to find another internal role? But notice, it's like, don't be a boiled frog mm -hmm. and, and know you have options. You have options, you have something to give and, and don't let fear keep you from seeing those things. That's beautiful. Yeah, I spent 21 years in my company, to my corporate experience too. Yeah. And um I, I, there's nothing I can add to that. It's exactly it. Add the value, figure out, you know, what's comfortable, not like just to be complacent, but that feels good and energizes you and is aligned. And yeah. then don't be the boiled frog because we all tend to, if you're there that long, you tend to boil yourself a couple of times before you figure it out. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's been such a joy having you today. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, um, thank you, Lisa. Thank you for creating this space, not only for me, but just for your listeners, I often listen to your podcast when I'm out jogging and it's, oh. I just love hearing what people have to say and then what you have to wrap it all up and to bring out the best. So thank you. Oh, you're very welcome. And I, what I will say to wrap us up today is when you think about formal development and you think about, you know, not for anyone listening, right. And you're like, I didn't get a coach or I didn't get that program or I didn't get this. Um, there's times I've paid for it myself. Mm -hmm. Does it matter that much to me? So if, if your company isn't giving you what you need, 
or you feel you want, um, I might ask you, you, I invite you to be curious on how might I continue to develop myself? How might I, you know, whether it's listening to this podcast, reading an article, Karen posts, you know, reading the book she recommended by Marshall Goldsmith. I think it's really important to own your own development and not just kind of hang out and wait for the company to give it to you because that middle isn't getting what it's um, what Karen and I believe is necessary. And that's going to take time. So I would say what's one small action you can take today to develop yourself and build the case to get corporate support too. Yes. Yeah. How's that? Beautiful. There it is. All right, everyone make it a great day. And Karen, again, thank you for being here and thank you for being a part of our solutions and our services where it's an honor to have you with part of our organization. Yeah. Thank you. The pleasure. Thanks, Lisa. All right, everybody take good care. That was great content, but let's be honest. If you don't get the support you need and start making changes in your life and work as a leader in tech, you can expect regret and burnout in the near future. Lisa can help you get kick-ass results at work without burning out so you can be present for the moments that matter to you and your loved ones. Take your first step at RebootWithLisa.com.